Let's bow our heads together for prayer before we open the Word together. Precious Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning with these words on our lips, the greatest thing, the greatest thing is to live for You, to serve You, to worship You. Father, that is the greatest thing, to be able to live for You, to be able to worship You, to be able to to remind ourselves of Your greatness. Lord, our lives don't always bear it out. Uh, Often our lives are not in line with the words that we just sang. So Lord, I pray that You would teach us this morning, instruct us from Your Word, and help us to learn that, yes, the greatest thing in life is to serve You. The greatest thing in life is to make Your Word known to others in the way that we serve You, in the way that we live for You. And so, Lord, I pray that Your Word would change our hearts and our minds this morning as You speak to us with the power of Your Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. As we study Your Word together, I pray that You would convict our hearts of sin that needs to be confessed and things that need to be changed in our lives that You would challenge us in in ways that we need to be obedient to You, that You would teach us with the the basic truths of Your Word this morning that that we need to be encouraged with, that that we need to be strengthened by, that we need to instruct our thinking and our speech and our conduct in the week ahead. We come together this morning, Lord, to yield ourselves before Your Word. And I pray that that would be the attitude that we bring to Your Word today, that we're yielding ourselves before You for Your mighty hand to do its work with Your powerful Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are, and when I say we, I mean those who are followers of Christ, those who have confessed their sin, and accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are fellow workers for the truth. We are fellow workers for the truth. And we're going to see this morning how fellow workers for the truth support and encourage one another and and even hold one another accountable with the truth. We arrive this morning at uh, the the book of 3 John. You can turn there with me very near the end of the New Testament. 3 John. This is a, a short letter, takes up about half a page in my New Testament. We're going to look at the whole passage this morning, the whole, the whole book of Third John, this third letter of John, and then we're going to come back and uh, walk through the first eight verses this, this morning. But I want to read the whole thing because it is such a short book. Third John. John writes, introducing himself, the elder, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. 
I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. Now, Second and Third John are very similar in that they are written to individuals in the church. Second John, we noted, was written to a woman in the church. Although I do have to note that some believe the elect lady mentioned in Second John could be referring to a church. Uh, most believe it is an, an individual to whom John is writing in Second John, and churches did meet in homes. Then there were no church buildings in the in New Testament times, so churches met in homes. But in Second John, we see John writing to a woman in a church. I believe that's correct. And then in Third John, we find that John is writing to a man, a man by the name of Gaius. Now we don't know who Gaius was. No one knows who Gaius was since. Uh, Gaius was a very common name then, a very common name. It's, it's like today when somebody says uh, Dave or Jerry, I have to say Dave who or Jerry who, right, guys? Um, Gaius was a very common name then. So we don't know who Gaius was, but it is clear by the way John addresses him that Gaius is a dear friend of John's since, well, four times in the text we find that he addresses him as beloved. Now, that's not just a term of endearment where he's saying to Gaius, um, you know, I love you as a brother. He's also stating something that we'll note here in a moment. It's, it's more than just merely saying, you know, you are loved by me. He's also saying you're loved by others. And there's a third thing that I want to point to in that statement, beloved, in just a moment. But he's loved by John, he's loved by others. It's likely that he has a role of leadership in the local church, and John is writing to him some words of encouragement, words of instruction as well. Second and third John are also similar in that they both address a similar problem. In both letters, John is dealing with the issue of traveling teachers and how they are to be treated in light of the Christian's responsibility to, as we saw in Second John, to walk in the truth and to love according to the truth. And how that truth and love lead to a proper practice of Christian hospitality. So 2nd and 3rd John are similar in that they both are addressing how these traveling teachers are accepted into the church and accepted into people's homes because people would be put up in homes if they were a traveling 
teacher of the word. They would be put up in, in a home and, and housed there because it, often it wasn't safe to stay in one of the inns. Those were often places of ill, re, Ill repute. And so believers would bring in those traveling teachers and put them up in their homes. And as we noted in Second John, the warning in Second John was who not to allow into your home. Do not, do not allow those into your home who deny the truth, who have departed from the truth. And so John writes 2 John and he warns, these are the people you don't allow into your home because if you do, you could be led astray, your faith could be weakened, and others' faith could be weakened, and others could be led away from the truth. In 3 John, it's just the opposite. In 3 John, he's saying, these are the people you accept into your home because just the opposite was happening. Good people were being turned away in 3 John. And, and so John writes to Gaius in giving him instruction on these are the people you should accept. These are the people you do put up and, and support and encourage. And we'll see that. Now the difference here is that uh, the 2 the John is kind of the negative aspect, who not to entertain, who not to show hospitality to. Believers are to show hospitality this is not that we, the, the, uh, John's not teaching in Second John that we don't show hospitality. We do show hospitality. We do show the love of Christ to those who need it. But there are those who have gone out into the world, as John says in Second John, who have departed from the truth and those we don't accept. And those who have departed from the truth and are leading others astray, we don't even give them a greeting. We, we're very careful about that because we don't want to be led astray and we want, don't want to lead others astray. The opposite in 3 John is that these are the ones you welcome. Here in 3 John, just the opposite is being addressed. What's happening here is that, the, that a man by the name of Diotrephes is refusing to allow those into the church who are teaching the truth. There are people coming along, they are teaching the truth, and Diotrephes is sending them away and sending others away who would try to support them. There are those who are attempting to show hospitality to these teachers of the truth, and Diotrephes is resisting them. So here in 3 John, he's encouraging those who are showing hospitality that that they ought to keep showing hospitality, that they ought to, ought to keep accepting these who are teaching the truth and not let Diotrephes stop them. And he rebukes Diotrephes. We'll see that next time as we come together next week, Lord willing, in the second half of Third John. Well, let's go to verse 1 here. And begin at the beginning. John says in verse 1, as, as I noted as I begin to read the passage this morning, John introduces himself as the elder. And so he says in verse 1, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Now this could just as well have been translated, whom I love in the truth. Note that he is not saying, my love for you is sincere by saying, whom I love in truth. He's not saying, my love for you is true. He's saying, I love you in the truth, the truth of the gospel. It's the truth of the gospel which really is the foundation for our love for one another in the church. And so he's saying, my love isn't, it's not that his love is sincere, I'm sure it was. It's not, he, not that he's saying, here's my sincere love for you. He's saying, my love for you is founded in the truth. When he says, whom I love in truth. The statement actually means that their, that their mutual love is based on the truth. It existed because of the truth. And we've talked about that at great lengths as, as we've studied through 1 John and 2 John, that, that our basis for loving one another is the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word. And our love must be founded on the truth, otherwise it isn't really the love of God. Now, John begins by pointing to the truth, which compels him to love Gaius as a brother in Christ. Now, in 2 John, we noted that the truth abides in believers 
and will be with us forever. So the foundation of truth that is lived out in the lives of believers comes from the fact that believers have believers have the truth by way of the Holy Spirit who indwells them. That's why it's so critical that followers of Christ be people of the Word, that we open the Word of God and we read what God has written and revealed to us so that the Holy Spirit can take that truth and allow it to dwell in us and live in us and live through us as we walk in the truth. That's the foundation for our lives. That's the foundation for this church. That's the foundation for our love and our fellowship. The truth is the foundation. And we learn how to love one another from the truth of God's Word. We also learn in Second John that truth and love cannot be separated. See, you aren't practicing love if your love isn't according to the truth of God's Word, and you aren't practicing the truth if you don't love. All right? We saw, too, that that's what it is to walk in the truth, to love obediently according to the truth. Yes, we, we are to love everyone in the world. You might say, well, you're talking about loving believers and loving people in the church, but aren't we supposed to love everyone? Yes, we are to love everyone in the world, and we are to love everyone in the world in an evangelistic way. In other words, in a way that, that loves them toward Christ. We love those who don't know Christ because we want them to know Christ because God has commanded us to live in such a way that points others to the truth of the gospel. And so we love everyone in an evangelistic way. But there is a very special and common bond and common love that we have in the church, in the fellowship of the church that is founded on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. You see, without the cross of Christ, we would not be able to love one another as God intends for us to love one another. And this is a very unique thing that's true of the church. But where there is no love, there's been an abandonment or a rejection of the truth. Where there is no love, there's been an abandonment or a rejection of the truth of God's Word. And where the truth is rejected, there is no love. So in verse 2, John carries on, and he addresses Gaius again as beloved, which for one points to the fact that he was a man well-loved by others. He was loved by John. He was loved by others. Everyone loved Gaius. But there's something else that it points to, which I hinted at earlier. It points to a third directional direction of the love from which the love, the love comes to Gaius, and that is that Gaius is loved by God. You see, God's people are loved by one another, right? And we're also loved by God. Back when we studied in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, we learned that believers of God, those who believe in Jesus Christ, believers are God's chosen ones, His elect, holy and beloved, says Colossians 3.12. God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now I think it's interesting that in 2 John, if you remember in the earliest verses of 2 John, the greeting was, to the elect lady. And here in 3 John, the greeting is to the beloved Gaius. Now, is there something different about them? Well, not not really. Those two greetings are accurate descriptions of all believers. All believers in Jesus Christ are elect and loved by God. And so both of those greetings could be true about either, either one greeted in 2 or 3 John. Now look at verse 2 again. Beloved, as John addresses Gaius again, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you 
and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Now there are two helpful statements here. The first being, as John continues to greet Gaius, Beloved, I pray, he says, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health. And we don't often see that, but there are a few occasions in the New Testament that address the health of individuals. And here it is, John addresses the health of Gaius. Now, we don't know if he's in poor health or not, but he says this first statement, I, I'm praying for you that your physical health will match, and here's the second interesting statement, your physical health will match your spiritual health as it goes well with your soul in verse 2. Now, things were well with Gaius' soul, evidently, because John says, I'm praying that your, spirit, that your physical health will match your spiritual health. Now, we know God is concerned with our spiritual well-being, but is He concerned with our health also? Is God concerned with our health? Absolutely, God is concerned with our health. There are other times in the New Testament we see remarks about the care of one's own health, but wouldn't this be a great statement? to be able to make to each other. You know, I'm praying that your physical health will match your, your spiritual health. You know, there are times, though, that we, we may not want to pray that, right? Because sometimes our spiritual health isn't what it ought to be, right? And so if we prayed for somebody's physical health to match their spiritual health, they could be in really bad shape. Now, we ought to be spiritually strong, right? Spiritually healthy, And I think this is just a powerful statement here by John about Gaius, that that he's praying that his physical health will measure up to his spiritual health. So he's saying it's obvious that Gaius is a man of God who loves the Lord, who knows the truth, who obeys the truth and walks in the truth. And John says, I'm praying that your physical health will match your spiritual health. That's a wonderful statement. It would be a wonderful thing for us to be able to pray that for each other, wouldn't it? to be able to observe one another and go, wow, that person's really strong spiritually, and to be able to go to them and say, I'm going to pray that your physical health will match your spiritual health. <laughs> now, just the opposite often happens. We often emphasize the physical health, right? We often pray for the physical health. Now, John mentions here that he's praying that, that Gaius' physical health will match his spiritual health, so the physical is important. And I would never suggest that we not pray for the physical concerns of one another. But what I'm challenged by here is that there ought to be, there ought to be balance, and we ought to go to God often for one another's spiritual health. And when we go to God in prayer for one another's physical health, there ought to be prayer too for our spiritual health. I don't know about you, I often pray for people who are struggling physically, that they will be spiritually strong that God will guard their heart and mind and strengthen them spiritually and build them up. And even through this time of physical weakness and hardship, that God would give them spiritual strength that is far beyond their physical strength. It would build them up and encourage them and give them hope and that they would be a people of prayer and people of the Word even while they're going through physical hardship. And so we ought to pray not only for the physical, but also the spiritual. And it would be wonderful, wouldn't it, if we could look at one another and say, I'm praying for your physical health, that it will match your spiritual health. We ought to live that way, that people could pray that about us, right? You know, we can be fellow workers for the truth when we encourage and pray for the spiritual and the physical. We are fellow workers for the truth. When we pray for one another's spiritual health and when we pray for one another's physical health, 
We are fellow workers for the truth. Now look at verse 3 because John goes on here to indicate the spiritual health of Gaius. In verse 3, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. Now we're seeing here that Gaius had had treated with love those who were rejecting those who were teaching the truth. Here comes people who are teaching the truth. And Diotrephes comes along and says, get out of here, we're not going to allow you into the church. They're teaching the truth. And Gaius is treating Diotrephes with love, even though he's rejecting those who are teaching the truth. He's loyal to the truth, Gaius is. He knows the doctrine. He walks in it. He walks in the truth. Truth guides his way of life, and John sees that. He hears the witness about Gaius. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. You see, fellow workers for the truth encourage each other, which is what John is doing with Gaius. And then in verse 4, John expresses what every parent or pastor who loves God's Word finds to be the greatest joy. And unfortunately, not all parents and not all pastors love God's Word. Parents, you ought to love God's Word. Pastors, I'm preaching to myself, we ought to love God's Word. And those who love God's Word find this to be the greatest of joys. Look at verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You know, as your pastor, I find the greatest joy in knowing, in seeing, in learning that you walk in the truth, that you love God's Word, you know it, you believe it, you walk in it, you obey it. That brings me the greatest joy as your pastor. There can be no greater joy than this. And I pray that God will help me to always labor and live for that joy as the greatest of joys among God's people. Not that... Not that we be a a church necessarily that overflows the building and into the parking lot. We have to think about how we're going to get all the people in. I would love for that to be a problem. (laughs) It would be a good problem, wouldn't it? But that's that's not where we find the greatest joy. Where we're going to find the greatest joy is when God's people obey God's Word. When God's people walk in the truth. That will bring me the greatest joy, and I pray that that will always be the attitude of my heart. Now, you might be thinking, don't misunderstand me. You might be thinking, isn't it great to see people get saved? Isn't that a great joy? Isn't that the greatest joy? Well, I, I would, I would say that that would be the greatest joy, but here's the challenge we face. It is a great joy to see people come to the truth and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, but how sad it would be if we saw teeming numbers of people coming to, to Christ and only a few of them remaining in the truth. Walking in the truth. You see, when God's people are walking in the truth of God's Word, which will bring us the greatest joy, when God's people are walking in the truth, there will be more people saved. you believe that? When God's people obey God's Word and do things God's way, there will be more people who are saved. Pastors who love the truth of God's Word don't work for a big paycheck. They labor over the truth. They work to teach the truth so that God's people will walk in the truth. I don't find the greatest joy in in gathering a paycheck. I find the greatest joy in finding out that you walk in the truth, that you obey God's Word 
So in a way, you, you might say, well, you don't need a raise then. I would say, if you're going to walk in the truth, I don't need a raise. All right? If, if you're going to walk in the truth, if you're going to obey God's truth, I will keep preaching the Word. I'll keep giving you the Word. And whether you walk in the truth or not, I want to keep preaching the Word because you should be walking in the truth. You should be living lives that are shaped by God's Word. I must live a life that is shaped by God's Word. We must together, as a church, allow this church, allow this group of people who call themselves God's children to be shaped and moved by the truth of the Word, and then people will come to Christ. Because our lives are changed by the Word, and we can't help but influence people toward Christ. I challenge parents, too, because the same is true for parents. Parents who love God's Word, and it's possible to be a parent and not love God's Word. But parents who love God's Word, they will find the greatest joy in knowing that their children are shaped by and living by God's truth. There was a time in my young adulthood when I wasn't living by the truth. I remember a time in my young adulthood when I broke my parents' heart because I ran from the truth. And they were miserable because I wasn't walking in the truth. Now, my parents have children who are all in ministry, and none of us is, is independently wealthy because of that. But they could care less. They could care less. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard my parents say, I'm just amazed that, that, that our children are, are living for God, and, and we're so thankful for that. My parents find the greatest joy in knowing that their children live for God and love God's Word and walk in the truth. That does not mean that we're sinless. Don't, please don't misunderstand me. But, but I find that my parents find the greatest joy in being able to say, we're watching our children, they're, they're living for God, and that, that brings us the greatest joy. We don't care about their finances or whatever. We're mostly concerned about what they do with God's Word. And parents who love God's Word are going to be more concerned with children and what they do with God's Word than what they do with their finances. I'm not saying that finances aren't important. Now, young people, I think there are a few young people in here today, and I challenge you that if you want to please your parents, I think most young people deep down want to please their parents. They may not admit it, but I know that most young people want to please their parents. And if you want to please your parents, you believe God's Word, know God's Word, obey God's Word, walk in the truth. Now, your parents may not love God's Word. And I would suggest, I'll, I'll add to that, pray that your parents will love God's Word. Because it is the right thing to do, to, to believe God's truth and obey God's truth and walk in that truth. And that will bring your parents the most joy. That will bring your pastor the most joy. Now, I'm not, I'm sure you don't lose sleep at night thinking about what's going to bring the most joy to your pastor, okay? But I'm just encouraging you here this way. This is going to bring me great joy. And I challenge you, this will bring you great joy. Because I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Parents, right? Now, John shifts gears a bit here. Fellow workers for the truth find great joy when their fellow workers walk in the truth. And then he shifts gears a bit in verses 5 and 6 and points to the fact that this joy that he's expressed is a result 
of the obedience of Gaius in treating with loving hospitality these traveling teachers who were teaching the truth. Verses 5 and 6, look at them. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. Stop right there for a moment. John's saying, your acts of hospitality, Gaius, your obedience to the truth in showing hospitality to these traveling teachers who are teaching the truth, that's evidence of your faithfulness to God. Your obedience to the truth, that's evidence that you obey the truth, that you're walking in the truth. And, and these that you've shown hospitality to have carried word back with them that you have shown them this love. Now there's a reminder here that faithfulness to God's people, faithfulness to God's people is faithfulness to God. Kindness shown to God's people is kindness shown to God. I don't know if you've ever thought about that when you've shown kindness to God's people or or helped someone in need who is a, a child of God. Kindness shown to God's people is kindness shown to God. It's what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 10 and verses 40 through 42 that there is there is great reward for those who are faithful to show the love of God to God's people. Matthew chapter 10 verses 40 through 42, whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is my disciple, is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. You see, faithfulness to God's people is faithfulness to God. Taking care of a servant of God is taking care of God, is showing kindness to God, is showing obedience to God. And John reinforces this idea with this in verse 6. Pick up again in verse 6. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. He's saying, keep Keep on giving these traveling teachers of God's Word the support that they need. Keep supporting them in the work that they are doing. Keep up the good work supporting their efforts of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need your support. You should keep supporting them. Because fellow workers of the truth minister to the needs of each other. They minister to meet the needs of one another. And that's just the privilege. Think about it. That's just the privilege that we take part in as a church when we support missionaries who are spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ in distant places. As you, as you go out this morning, look to your left on our, on that shelf there, the missions mantle, and look at the missionaries we support, a handful of missionaries that, that our church is privileged to support who are taking the gospel to places like Chile and Costa Rica and the Philippines and, and to Quebec. God has blessed us to be able to be a part of the work that they are doing, to be able to financially support them and to be able to support them with our prayers. And that is just the same kind of privilege that John is talking about here. That's the part that the part we get to play when we support missionaries in the work of spreading the gospel to the farthest reaches, the farthest people groups on planet Earth. We do well to send them on their journey of spreading the joy of the gospel. And we do well to do so generously. We are 
co-laborers with them in the work when we generously support those who spread the gospel. Why? Verse 7. Look at verse 7 again. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. They have gone out for the sake of the name. What does that mean? The sake of the name. That is the name of Christ. Those who go out for the sake of the name of Christ are worthy of our generous support. There's a similar statement by Paul in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. I'll kind of break it down and condense a little bit because it's a longer passage. But Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, in verse 1 he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. In verse 3 he says, concerning his son, God's son Jesus, Verse 4, declared to be the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name. The obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. For the sake of the name of Jesus Christ, we evangelize the lost. For the sake of the name of Jesus Christ, we spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We support missionaries who take the gospel to faraway places. For the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is worthy of all of our labors. For the sake of the name of Jesus Christ, we hold to the truth and we support with the means with which God has blessed us those who go for the sake of the name. Therefore, John says in verse 8, look at it, therefore we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. You see, fellow workers for the truth minister to the needs of each other. Fellow workers for the truth work, labor to support those who are taking the gospel to the farthest people on planet earth. Therefore, John says, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. That is a powerful statement. We cannot all go. We can't all go to Chile. We can't all go to Costa Rica. We can't all go to the Philippines. We can't all go to Quebec. But we can all be fellow workers for the truth in supporting those who do go. And great is the reward for followers of Christ who hold to the truth and support those who go for the sake of the name of Christ to spread the gospel to the farthest reaches of mankind. We are called to be fellow workers for the truth. That is our privilege. That is our calling. And it's a powerful statement that we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. We not only support them in the work that they do, but we also partake of the, of the benefits, the blessings that they enjoy as being givers of truth to people who desperately need to hear the gospel. Fellow workers for the truth minister to the needs of each other. And we are privileged to be a part of the work that, that just those handful of missionaries 
and others that we support who go out and take the gospel, not only do we enjoy the, the privilege of being able to support them, but we have here the statement in God's Word that we, that we, we also have the reward. God rewards those who faithfully minister to the needs of those who take the gospel of Jesus Christ and minister for the sake of the name. A great reward awaits the followers of Christ who hold to the truth and support those who go for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ, for the spread of the gospel. Because the name of Jesus Christ is worthy of all of our efforts to support those who go, to faithfully live the truth where God has placed us in this community, to give the gospel of Jesus Christ to our neighbors and to our family members and our co-workers, and then to support those who go to places we can't go. We ought to support people like these, as verse 8 says, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Isn't it wonderful to be a fellow worker for the truth? Fellow workers hold to the truth. Fellow workers for the truth are called to be placing the truth at the very foundation of everything that they do. And so if we're going to be a church that glorifies God as, as individuals who are fellow workers for the truth, we'd better get the truth in and live the truth out, right? And support those who do the work of spreading the gospel. As we can see the steps as we come through Third John here, the different ways that we support and encourage one another as fellow workers for the truth. As you look around in this body of believers in this fellowship, pray for one another. Pray for our spiritual well-being. Pray for our physical well-being. Oh, I, I pray that it would be true that we could look at one another and say, I'm praying that your physical well-being will measure up to your spiritual well-being. Sometimes that's not always the case, is it? Because our spiritual well-being sometimes falters while our physical well-being doesn't. You know how we need to be a people of the truth, a people given to God's Word, that we would be fellow workers for the truth, committed to doing the truth, to believing the truth, to walking in the truth, just as we've learned in 1 John, in 2 John, and now in 3 John. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Word, a precious Word, reminders that we can be and are, as Your children, fellow workers for the truth. Lord, help us to place the truth of Your Word at the very core of our being, that we would live it, obey it, believe it, walk in it. And Lord, I pray... I pray that it would be true of us that our spiritual health is such that we can that we can pray for one another that our that our physical health would would match our spiritual health that we might be able to look around and, and rejoice greatly that that we're walking in the truth that we might not have any greater joy than to look around and and realize that God's children are walking in the truth Lord that, let that be a description of your church here that your people love the truth and walk in the truth Lord, help us to be faithful to support those who spread the gospel far and wide. Lord, help us to stand up even in the face of opposition, even in the face of financially what may look like very difficult times ahead for our nation. Lord, help us to stand up as a church and as individual believers to continue to support the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ as people take it to the farthest people on planet Earth to hear the gospel, the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, that lives might be changed, that hearts might be broken with their own sin, and they'd confess their sin and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, making Jesus Christ their Lord and welcoming welcoming Him as Savior. 
Father, I pray for hearts this morning that may not know you. People who who may be here this morning realizing that they need to confess their sin and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. Lord, help them to do that. Help them to prostrate themselves, to fall before you in their hearts, grievous for their sin against you, confessing that they need to be forgiven of that sin, believing in Jesus Christ for salvation. Lord, I pray, draw each person here to your side. Those who need you, break their heart with their need for you. Those who who know you, break their heart with their need to be obedient to your word at all times. Challenge us, Lord. Convict us. Strengthen us. Embolden us. And Lord, may we be fellow workers for the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.